And now I'll introduce today's special guest, who joins us as part of our Ontario Minister's Series 2008. Over the past month and a half, we've also heard from George Smitherman, Minister of Energy and Infrastructure, and Ontario's Finance Minister, Dwight Duncan. Today, we hear from the Honourable David Kaplan, who in June took over his new post, switching portfolios with George Smitherman. His predecessor brought a unique style to the health portfolio, as health sector leaders around the province can readily attest. But David Kaplan has brought his own style and discipline to this very critical post, just as he did during the four and a half years immediately prior as Minister of Public Infrastructure Renewal. In both of these massive portfolios, we can be sure that David Kaplan has never been bored and has never lacked for things to do. It's also worth noting that there is a proud family tradition associated with the portfolio Minister Kaplan now holds. His mother, the Honourable Eleanor Kaplan, was Provincial Health Minister from 1987 to 1990 and was a major force in shaping health care in this province. The apple apparently doesn't fall far from the tree. As Health Minister, David Kaplan has had some early success with the $1 billion contract deal struck between the province and the Ontario Medical Association. And we are watching and hoping for more success as he tries to whittle down wait times, ramp up the number of nurses, and roll out an additional 50 family health teams. Not easy in the best of times, and these are not the best of times. Healthcare has always been an expensive proposition, and in our current economic climate, it will be even tougher to maintain, never mind increase, services. But if his past achievements are any indication, Minister Kaplan is up to the challenge of championing health care in a time of financial frailty. Please join me in welcoming the Honourable David Kaplan, Ontario Minister of Health and Long-Term Care, as he discusses the Liberal government's broad vision for Ontario health. And I will remind you all, or tell you all at this point, that the Minister is happy to take a few questions, time permitting, after his remarks. Okay. Just grew taller. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's a tremendous pleasure and an honour for me to be here today. Uh, I know that the Canadian Club has facilitated some of the key public policy debates uh, of our time, and it really is a privilege for me to be able to engage discussion on the future of healthcare in Ontario. But before I begin, let me start by thanking Helen for her very generous introduction. Like many, so many of you here today, Helen has committed herself and her energies to public service as chair of Ontario's Trillium Foundation and the president of this club. And for that, we owe you, Helen, a tremendous debt of gratitude. So let me start by saying thank you. I would also like to thank uh, Alan Odette, uh, past president uh, of, of the club who's with us today, uh, who's representing GlaxoSmithKline. Alan, thank you as well. I have quite a bit of ground to cover, and I, I want to make sure that I leave enough time uh, for Q's and A's. So let's get started. I've got about, I've got about 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how quickly I do it, uh, worth, of, worth of remarks. But, you know, I'm, I'm often struck. There's a very famous story. It goes around Queen's Park about a minister who had 20 minutes worth of remarks. He asked a speechwriter to, to provide it for him. Seemed when he gave the remarks, the poor fellow went on for an hour. And boy, was he embarrassed because this half of the audience fell asleep. 
well, this half of the audience in disgust simply got up and left the room. And the minister was, was terribly embarrassed, and, and the next morning got into his office, called up his speechwriter, and chewed the poor fellow out like you would not believe. The speechwriter was dumbfounded and said, I don't understand it. I gave you 20 minutes' worth of remarks and two additional copies. Well, I, <laughs> I want to assure you that I only have one copy of my remarks today. And today, today's theme is broad vision for health care. But before I get into the broad vision, I'd like to start with something a little bit more specific. The emergency departments of our hospitals. Our ERs have become, literally, a metaphor for what ails our healthcare system. Our ERs have become the default doorway through which too many Ontarians enter and then leave the healthcare system. A person with a sprained finger is coming through the same door as someone having a heart attack. And Ontario's emergency departments see uh, approximately 5 million patients every year. But more than half of those visits, as estimated, are not medical emergencies. So think about what that means. The backlogs, inefficiencies, and the frustration. Frustration for patients, for medical professionals, for policymakers. That's why many of my priorities as Minister of Health will relate in one way or another to hospital emergency departments. It's the biggest and, in my opinion, the most urgent challenge facing the entire system. Now, since 2003, uh, approximately five years ago, I, I, I would note that uh, through the efforts of my predecessor, Minister Smitherman, we have made enormous progress in rebuilding and refocusing our health care system. As a government, we've set two overarching priorities, reducing wait times, especially in our emergency departments, and improving access to family health care for all Ontarians. We've seen vastly increased uh, resources, uh, annual spending for health care by over $11 billion. That's a dramatic 37% increase. And we're seeing results from these investments. We've increased the number of frontline medical workers. We've funded over 8,000 new nursing jobs, 7,000 jobs in long-term care homes. We've undertaken the largest expansion of community health centers in the history of the province, benefiting 103 communities. We've reduced wait times for key surgeries. One billion dollars alone has been devoted to this initiative. Many of our hospitals have sprouted construction cranes, all part of the single largest expansion of healthcare capital in generations. We've created 100 family, 150 family health teams. That means that 630,000 Ontarians now have access to a family doctor who did not previously. We've increased community input through local health integration networks. But as always, there is much more work to do. So I've spent the last four and a half months learning and planning and strategizing for 2009, which I expect is going to be a very busy year in healthcare. We must continue realizing our vision of a modern, accessible, sustainable healthcare system that delivers the highest quality of care available in the world. That's no idle boast, but it's no easy feat. But we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to our public whom we serve, 
we owe it to future generations to do no less. Now, when I assumed the responsibility as Minister of Health, I sought the advice of a former Minister of Health who shall remain nameless. Son, she said, <laughs> there are literally thousands of urgent issues to be addressed in health care. But if you try to spend your time and attention and your energies to fix all of them, you'll find at the end that you will have accomplished very little. Be strategic. Don't be overwhelmed by the daily crises. Rather, choose a number of key priorities that matter to you, priorities that will have long-term lasting impacts and benefits, benefit, benefit the greatest number of Ontarians. So I thought that that was very sound advice. So I've decided that I'm going to focus my attention and energies on three key and, and important areas. First, chronic diseases, chronic disease management, and starting with diabetes. Earlier this summer, I hope you would have noticed that uh, I launched a comprehensive diabetes strategy to help the almost one million Ontarians living with this disease. The $741 million investment will sustain a four-year strategy to prevent, to manage, and to treat diabetes. We're starting with increasing access to insulin pumps, and we'll be launching a diabetes registry later in 2009. Better management of chronic diseases will help to ease emergency department wait times by diverting patients into more appropriate settings. Second, electronic health. By 2015, according to the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care, Ontarians will have an electronic health record. I believe we can be more ambitious than this. Frankly, we haven't moved nearly as quickly as I'd like on it. So we need to redouble our efforts to make up for lost time. And that's why I'm confident under the leadership of Dr. Alan Hudson, the chair of eHealth Ontario, and Sarah Kramer, our new president and CEO, both of whom are here today, we will modernize this critical aspect of the system. But leadership is not going to be enough. We need partnerships with health stakeholders, with technology providers. And I see today's sponsors, uh, and I had a chance to very briefly chat with Francois, president of Emergis, and I met earlier his colleague Dave Cunningham agreeing with me that we all need to work together. E-health involves enormous costs, but it will produce, in my opinion, equally large savings. And most importantly, it will lead to innovations in the quality of healthcare. It has literally the potential to transform our healthcare system and support many other health-related strategies, like our diabetes registry, like new models of care, like an enhanced ability to track patients and monitor incidents of disease and illness, which will all help to ease the ER crunch. The third area that I've decided to spend some time and attention and to tackle is mental health and addiction. It directly affects one in four of us. It's an issue that touches us all directly or indirectly, whether we know it or not. The mentally ill represent among the, the most vulnerable in our society. And I truly believe that the way that this issue is in many ways a, a measure of us as a compassionate society. This too 
will help divert patients from the ER to alternative strategies, to alternative settings for care and for treatment. Now, by focusing on these three key areas, we'll be addressing the most pressing challenge we face in emergency departments. By giving patients the options to access the healthcare system through more appropriate entry points. And by giving Ontarians the opportunity to avoid entering the healthcare system altogether. So let me be clear we are going to solve the ER challenge. But the problem of emergency departments cannot be solved by governments alone, nor by hospitals working in isolation. It's going to require all of our efforts through a coalition, through partnerships, and through teamwork. Now, if I've learned anything in my time uh, in my previous role as the Minister of Infrastructure, uh, it's the value of teamwork. Building infrastructure requires the coordination and concerted efforts of bankers, of architects, of engineers, a whole host of professional trades and many others, all working toward a single goal. Likewise, solving the ER conundrum requires a combination of leadership and partnership. Just ask Tom Clausen, President of the, and CEO of the Ontario Hospital Association, who is with us today, what partnership can accomplish. The OHA has been a strong partner of the Ontario government. And that's one of the reasons that we've got so many major hospital projects underway and so many in the procurement pipeline, more than 100 in all. Or ask Linda Haslam Stroud, President of Ontario's, uh, Ontario Nurses Association, who's also come to participate in today's discussions. She and her members have been absolutely critical in transforming healthcare. Thousands of new nurses and thousands more to come, helping us to take on some of the toughest challenges that the system faces. Infection control, wait times, and the list is endless. As the largest group of regulated healthcare providers, nurses are the front lines of healthcare, and their partnership is critical to the future of our public health care system. Or ask Jonathan Guess, CEO of Ontario's Medical Association, also here today. Last month, and Helen mentioned earlier, we reached a new agreement with, Ontario, with Ontario's doctors that includes a shared commitment to help a half a million additional Ontarians who currently don't have a family physician to be able to find one. That commitment is the driving force behind a new program that I'll be launching in the new year. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's called Healthcare Connect. This unprecedented initiative will connect patients with family health care providers in their communities who are taking on new patients. And for the first time in Ontario, people struggling to find a family doctor will have a single place to turn to, to find real solutions. I'm also going to be working hard in the new year to ensure that Ontarians are better informed about alternatives to emergency departments, such as urgent care centers and walk-in clinics. So the Ministry of Health, Long-Term Care, and Local Health Integration Networks, nurses, doctors, patients, and hospital administrators, all working together toward a common goal, applying innovative and creative approaches to problem-solving over reflexive demands for more funding.
and examples abound. So let me share one with you. The Timmins District Hospital, like so many others across the province, was experiencing a severe bed shortage. 50%, 50% of its acute care beds were being occupied by patients who didn't actually require acute care. And 80% of its emergency stretchers were being used by patients who didn't need emergency treatment. So working with the Northeast Local Health Integration Network, the hospital accessed a new strategy called wraparound funding. As its name implies, the strategy provides support to help get patients out of hospitals and into more appropriate settings. Nursing care, social services, housekeeping help, personal support, even equipment like wheelchairs and special mattresses are funded through wraparound. Within two weeks, within two weeks, the hospital began to discharge patients. And within months, the hospital was able to eliminate wait times for ER beds. The total amount of funding, $233,000. Think of it. But the impact, well, you can applaud for that. <laughs> the impact of that relatively small amount of funding produced exceptional value for money for the hospital and, more importantly, for the patients. The program has been so successful that the Lynn is recommending the program be expanded to hospitals in Sudbury, North Bay, and in Sault Ste. Marie. There are lessons in the leadership and the partnership to be learned from Timmins and District Hospital, and the lessons in innovative thinking and problem solving. These approaches are all the more critical as we face tough economic times. Now, as you heard last month uh, when Minister Duncan uh, uh, produced the fall economic statement, we're entering a belt-tightening period. When we formed the government uh, about five years ago, we inherited a $5.5 billion deficit that was hidden from public view. And through the time uh, of our first mandate, we worked very hard to eliminate uh, that deficit. So you can all imagine how difficult a decision it was for Minister Duncan and our government as a whole to post a half a billion dollar budget deficit this year. It was a tough decision, but I truly believe it was the right decision in order to protect health care and education, two priorities that Ontarians hold dear. Belt tightening is what Ontario families do when faced with tough times, and that's what we're going to do in the Ministry of Health. We'll spread out the hiring of 9,000 new nurses over a longer period of time than we had originally anticipated. We'll be slowing the addition of some family health teams, but let me be very clear. We are moving forward, just simply not as fast as we would have liked. We're spending 46 cents of every program dollar in Ontario on health, the highest level ever we're still hiring thousands of nurses. We're still adding family health teams. We're still renewing hospital infrastructure. And what we will not do is what the previous government did. We will not borrow money 
to fund tax cuts and then make drastic cuts to health care and education to balance the books. Everyone has a choice, and our choices are clear. Even in these difficult times, we will continue to invest in health care, and we will do so in a prudent and responsible manner, because now more than ever, we need leadership and we need partnership. Now more than ever, we need the federal government to step up. Ontario families continue to be shortchanged by more than $700 million each year in health transfers alone. Federal Finance Minister Flaherty's recent equalization announcement fell short of the mark. If we had a willing and engaged partner in Ottawa, I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, we could do a lot more, and we could do it a lot faster. As it is, we have a federal government that has been missing in action for far too long. Because the challenges that we face in health care in this province, in these economic uncertain times, are too great for any of us to shirk our responsibilities. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to end my remarks today by borrowing from someone whose intelligence and humanity we would all acknowledge. Albert Einstein, who said, we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. In that vein, the challenges we face today require us to be bold, to be innovative, and to come together. Together, it's going to be the way that we will navigate through the turbulence and emerge with a strengthened healthcare system. There is much that can divide us, but there is more that can unite us. As leaders and as partners, we need to work together. There's so much to say on this topic, but at this point, I'd like to do what I normally do, which is to listen and to be able to engage in a dialogue, and I'd like to hear from many of you. So on that note, I'd like to end my formal remarks, and I'd like to take your questions, and as I often do say, if you do have questions, I do have answers. Thank you so much for being a wonderful audience today. All right. If anyone has any questions, please raise your hand and we'll have a handheld mic brought to you. Uh, so we have somebody over here. Gary Malkowski, and I'm from the Canadian Hearing Society. Mr. Minister of Health, um, I'd like to ask what your vision is in the role, for the role of community health. I, I think that's, that's an excellent question because oftentimes um, the healthcare system as we've conceived it and as we've supported it has been through um, the institutions uh, largely set up by the province but it is, in fact, the community organizations and community providers which are going to provide us much of the key. So, for example, we started something that we call Aging at Home. Aging at Home is a $1.1 billion investment over the course of four years 
in community health providers that will help to be able to keep seniors living independently at home within their own communities. I hope you, Gary, had a chance to read the, an excellent series in the Toronto Star where they talk about in a number of countries in the world where they have used many of these kinds of strategies. We are just in the beginning, but it is through supporting community agencies and community partners that I really think that we're going to see many of the best benefits that are yet to come. And that's just one example of what I think will be many more attempts to shore up and support and to create the capacity at the community level to be able to support Ontarians of all walks of life. Any other questions? Wow. Then enjoy dessert. <laughs> no, there's, no, there's one other coming. At least gonna, one other. You know, my staff cannot ask me questions. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Minister. Um, I'm, I'm from Pathways Education uh, Canada, and I was very entertained by uh, the ads for um, the doctor's offices, and it said help wanted. I was just curious in respect to what the ministry is doing to uh, uh, meet that pressing issue of the shortage of doctors that we will probably be facing in the future. The, the single greatest challenge I believe that we face uh, and have yet to, to be confronted with um, is a human resource challenge. Where and, and an incredible stat that when we first began um, our healthcare system in this country, um, for every one person retired, there were eight people in the workforce. At present, for every one retired, there are five people in the workforce. And the year 2012, the first year when the baby boom generation will retire, and I'm at the tail end in 1964. Um, by the time that that is, is well underway, for every one retired, there will be three people in the workforce. So think about what the implications are. You not only have um, a system that has to be financially supported by fewer people, but you're literally going to have fewer people available to provide the care, available to provide, and that we're going to require throughout the entire system. And this is not unique to Ontario or to Canada. This will be a worldwide phenomenon. So we're trying to get ahead of it right now by doing a couple of things. Number one is we know that we are able to attract, because of the quality of life that we offer, um, people from around the world who have had the investment and the support in their, in their own home countries. So we're working with uh, our professional college, the College of Physicians and Surgeons, and many others uh, of the other professional colleges, to be able to help to license and to integrate and to create the ability for folks to be able to have their credentials recognized, to be able to meet Ontario standards, and to be able to practice um, faster. And, and in fact, uh, I believe a third reading debate is taking place today on Bill 97, which would, would help and assist in this regard. That's one strategy. The other strategy is that unfortunately, back in the early 90s, the government of the day made a fundamentally um, 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 uh, very uh, wrong decision, which was... <laughs> Which, which was to reduce the number of training spaces available in our medical schools. Um, what, this, what this caused, uh, it was thought at the time um, to be able to contain costs, but what it did was it led us down the path of uh, a critical shortage of medical personnel. So we've worked very hard over the first couple of years to expand the number of medical school spaces within uh, Ontario's uh, um, within Ontario's universities and have created a northern medical school. The philosophy is that we will be able to uh, um, support the health care needs of people in the north if we have 
places where people from the north will be able to get the kind of training and then go back into practice. Um, and that seems to be holding true. It, the first graduating class will be coming out in the first couple of years. But if any indication from the early recruitment efforts by some of the local health care providers, it seems that that, that uh, philosophy will hold true. So we have um, a plan to create additional spaces in Ontario's medical schools to train more doctors. And that's going to be a, um, truly a, an, another area. And I guess the third area is what can we do currently to be able to recruit and retain the medical professionals that we have. And I, I was really struck um, earlier this year when I had a chance to participate uh, with Mount Sinai and uh, the Hospital for Sick Children, where because of some of the efforts to revitalize our infrastructures, create modern facilities, and also support the research efforts, that they were able to attract one of Canada's leading uh, neonatal specialists. And we have begun to see I guess what could, would be termed a brain gain in Ontario, because we now have the opportunity to support the kind of research and the kind of care that these physicians wish to be able to do. And we're attracting, we're not actively going out and recruiting from other places in the world, but we are making it possible for them to want to come here to be able to set up practice. So those are the three ways that we're doing it. And I guess the fourth one is for the very first time ever in the agreement that we signed with the OMA, we have the interests of the Ontario Medical Association and the interests of the Ontario government completely aligned in, 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 the, in the same direction, which is incredibly helpful. Because if we are going to solve these problems, it is going to take that kind of a partnership which is going to be able to uh, uh, do that. So I really thank you for the question uh, because very, very much uh, it, is, it is uppermost in my mind the HR, the HR challenge that we're going to have in years to come. Question at the back. Yes, Mr. Minister, thank you very much for your remarks and comments. Uh, my name is Harry French. I'm working in a consulting capacity with uh, some of the lens on the topic of engagement. You mentioned engagement in your opening remarks, and I think the importance of engagement is one of the strategies uh, in terms of transforming health here uh, in Ontario. It's interesting that the Act, though, defines uh, what the LINs should do and the health service providers within the LINs to engage their communities includes employees and practitioners and so on, but it doesn't define the how. At least some, some may debate that, but I'm going to ask you, what's your dream around how engagement will take place uh, uh, through, the, uh, through the, uh, the words that were established in the Act for the LINs? Sure. Well, Harry, that's a great question, and I think it's important that the Act not define how it's done because it will happen within the diversity that is Ontario. And Ontario is, is an incredible place, and we have large urban centers, and we have rural, and we have remote communities, and we have a, a diversity that runs the entire spectrum of the world. And when I had a chance to speak with the Lynn chairs and CEOs, and we, we talked about this very same topic, and I said to them, I approach things as a politician, where I think about my election campaign, and I'll go and knock on individual doors in order to engage people in Don Valley East that I represent but I'll also meet with them in small groups. I'll meet with them around natural communities which have formed, and I'll meet with them in larger forums. And my expectation for, Lynn, uh, for local health integration networks to be able to engage in those ways and in all of the other conceivable ways that they have to be able to truly reach out and to truly be able to uh, um, have meaningful engagement. And I want to stress the word meaningful. 
in, in order for the, the larger public, and it's not simply the healthcare providers or the healthcare community, they must make the effort to be able to reach out to all of, because healthcare is so utterly important to all of us in all of our walks of life, we will all come in contact with the healthcare system at one point or another, or in one way, shape, or form or another, uh, over our lifetimes, uh, oftentimes many different ways that it's important that they reach out and engage the larger public as well. But when I say meaningful, it can't be that we have a predetermined outcome and I'm going to talk to you just to go through the motions and just to say that I've, that I've, I've engaged in this kind of an exercise. Rather, it has to be meaningful. You have to share with people what the options are, what the choices are, and listen to them. Take the time to actually listen and to be guided by the wisdom that, that, that exists in communities. The program that I mentioned in my formal remarks, the wraparound program, came as a result of local hospital officials understanding who their partners were in Timmins, engaging them in a way and developing that partnership so that they could get people who were in acute care beds back into the community with appropriate care. That didn't come as a result of a bunch of very well-meaning and, and very intelligent people who work at the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care. It came as an innovation because people in a local community were prepared to listen, talk, and partner with one another. And that's the benefit of what genuine and meaningful uh, engagement can mean and what the power of it's going to do is to build a force within healthcare to realize the potential that we have. I think we have time for one more question. Sure. I'm Doug Weir. I'm a psychiatrist. I'm also with the Ontario Medical Association. In your remarks, you mentioned uh, mental health and addictions being a priority. Yes. Can you tell us what your government uh, intends to do, especially to ensure that treatment is a priority? I've, uh, I've called together a, a group. I've tried to be as representative as I can, about two dozen um, individuals from around the province of Ontario. So we have clinicians and practitioners. We have uh, community providers. We have survivors. Uh, you know, we have tried to run the gamut. Um, across the province of Ontario toward the development of a mental health and addiction strategy for the province of Ontario. And that would, that would be for treatment for, I don't know if prevention is the, is, is, is the, a, a proper term, but it, it runs the whole spectrum, the whole gamut of, of what the options are. What I've said to them is, um, I, you know, I don't want, um, simply the ministry to develop a strategy and for you to tell us whether you like it or where the gaps are. I want this to be developed from the people who are on the front lines, from the people who are working within the system, and more importantly, from the people that I'm going to need to rely on to help to realize it and realize it in our lifetimes. So, so that's, that's the direction that, I, that we've gone in. We have reserved some additional dollars within the ministry's budget but I'm not as concerned about that because once we develop whatever the strategy and whatever the actions, however we're going to prioritize things, and we're not quite there yet, but whatever, whatever that is, uh, we're going to then uh, uh, share that with my cabinet colleagues and with the treasurer and say this is what we're going to need in order to make this very real, and this is, this is going to produce uh, uh, the results that are going to make a difference in the lives of Ontarians when it comes to mental health and addictions. And I know that there are many, you know, there are a lot of myriad issues, some, would, uh, some of which have surfaced very early on is the lack of capacity for children and youth, the gulf that exists between mental health on one side and addictions on the other, and, and how do those two uh, interact. 
and, and, and many, many others. I, I'd say that our, our first meetings have been productive, and I'm really looking forward to what's coming out. I'm targeting the spring, probably the late spring, for when we should have a first draft to be able to share with a, a wider audience around the province and receive some feedback, and then we'll see where, we, where next steps are and where we take it from there. But it is, uh, it is a pers great personal interest to me. Um, so far, I've already connected with uh, uh, Michael Kirby and the, the National Commission. And one of the things I'm really thrilled about is that the uh, issues of mental health and addictions, in my opinion, that um, there is a, a growing public consensus that now is the time for leadership, now is the time that we could do something that we could really, uh, we could really set a direction which would have meaningful consequences and, and see some, some truly uh, transformative change. And I, I, really get the, I really get the sense that we are on the, the verge of, of seizing that kind of an opportunity. So I really thank you for the question. Thank you, Minister. Let's give the Minister another a round of appreciation. And uh, now I'd like to call on Alan Odette, past president of the Canadian Club, to formally thank the minister. Thanks, Alan. I noticed when, he, when you jumped up here, you got a lot taller. There was a, uh, a really good-looking but short uh, past president that they created that for last year. Thank you, uh, Minister Kaplan, for joining us this afternoon and uh, outlining the Liberal government's uh, health priorities in Ontario. As the Minister has said, for all citizens of Ontario to have a full and speedy access to the best health care possible, we need to make sure that everyone is involved in, uh, in the system, including government uh, and physicians, and that everyone is working on the same page uh, collectively and together. So thank you for that. His ministry is aggressively setting targets with such successful programs as the wait time strategy, and this should result in Ontarians getting the care they need sooner. So um, we still have a long way to go. As you've mentioned, a lot of work. Health care will likely continue to be the biggest test governments, federal and provincial, will face. It is and will continue to be the biggest expense, no question that they all have. And health care won't take a holiday from this current economic turndown. At the same time, the money invested in health care has to be balanced against the hopes for increased funding in other areas, including education, justice, and social services. There is an Arabic proverb, he who has health has hope and he who has hope has everything. And where there is good, far-sighted leadership, there is hope. So Minister, thank you for bringing your leadership and your uh, vision to us this afternoon and for joining us at our luncheon. Have a great afternoon. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Minister. And thank you to all of us, all of you, for joining us today. This concludes our television programming, which is being broadcast live and will be rebroadcast in the days to come. This meeting is now adjourned.